Uh, if you're new here, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, boy, if you, uh, whether you're a longtime Sunridgian or you're just visiting us today or you're just listening online, we're just so thrilled that we get to be a part of helping you connect with God and, and hopefully take the next step in your relationship with Him. Uh, for, for years, one of the things that we've, been, uh, we, that we've done with our kids and now our grandkids is we do puzzles. We're into puzzles. If you can play a game with a child that uh, has some cognitive benefit, we're for that. And so over the years, we've uh, done puzzles with our kids and now our grandkids. We even have some of the puzzles from when our older girls, who are in their later 30s, which sorry to out you on that, girls, but... Um, we still have some of those around. And so we have like a stack of puzzles about that high. And, you know, the, I guess the art in uh, doing puzzles with your grand, my grandkids now is like finding the ones that, you know, are challenging enough to keep them interested, you know, and, but not to bum them out and to keep, uh, you know, nudging them forward in how they uh, process things. But when you do that, eventually... Uh, what, you, what you'll hear from your child or grandchild is, you know, that when they cannot figure out where the next piece goes, they'll say, I can't, right? And, uh, you know, I think that that's kind of like one of the first times in life, around three or four, in doing a puzzle, uh, when those self-defeating words come out of your mouth, I can't. And they continue into our adult life, don't they? When we face something that we think that we are not capable of handling, uh, we say or think, I can't. And that's especially true of challenges in relationships, isn't it? Um, I, you know, I, I can't deal with that person. I, I can't work next to that person any longer. I, I can't stay married to that person. I can't room with that person any longer. I can't go to church with that person. Now, you know, we could, in a series about love, we could sit around and talk about like warm, goose pimply feelings about how awesome it is to love one another, but the truth is, if you have long-term meaningful relationships, there are times when loving that person is a challenge. And uh, it may or may not be true whether you can love through that next thing, that next challenge that you're facing. But one thing I know that's a problem for those of us who call ourselves Christians is what Jesus said in John 15, 12. We're going to put it up on the screen. I command you to love each other in the same way that I love you. Anybody reading those words, you just want to say, I can't, when you think about that person. That's why we're doing this series we're calling Tenacious Love. Tenacious love holds on when it would be easier to let go, and it reaches out toward people that we would rather avoid. When Jesus said that we're to love people the way that he loved them, he's saying that we are called to love tenaciously. And, you know, completing a puzzle as a four-year-old is definitely a challenge, but it's nowhere near the challenge of loving people as Jesus loved them. And, but there's something that we can learn from a four-year-old, 
when they try to persevere with trying to figure out where that next puzzle piece goes. When they say, I can't, but they keep working on it, eventually they look at you and they say, help me. Right? Help me, Dappy. That's what my four-year-old calls me, Dappy. That should be very endearing to you right now. You should be saying, ah, yeah, yeah. I've been called much worse than Dappy. <clears throat> you know, there's good theology in that, and good practical um, advice. Because loving tenaciously requires that we replace I can't with help me. If we're going to love people the way Jesus loved, we have to get rid of the words I can't and replace them with help me. Now, before we talk about how God helps us love people tenaciously, I want to just take a few moments as a reminder, and I don't want you to turn your brain off here. I want you to stay engaged because even though you, this is not going to be a new concept to you, it's super important for every Christian to grasp this fully. Love is the thing. Love is the thing. You know, if you don't believe me, then put your trust in one of the greatest theologians that ever lived, Yogi Berra, when he said, love is the most important thing in the world, but baseball is pretty good too. I love, I love Yogi Berra quotes. I don't know if he actually said all these things, but he was a pretty funny cat if, uh, if he did. See, love is the thing. You know, John, who was with Jesus from the very beginning, saw him crucified, and later followed him and wrote John's gospel, and then he wrote some letters that are at the back of your New Testament. He said this when he described God. God is love. God is love. It's interesting that he used those words in such a concise way to express who God is. I mean, one of my favorite books is uh, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. I cut my eye teeth on that years and years ago. You should read it. Knowing God, J.I. Packer. And it's, a, it's an in-depth look at the theology and the, the character qualities of who God is. But, you know, John just kind of summed it up. God is love. You know, he, it's interesting that he didn't say God is knowledge, although God is all-knowing, right? He didn't say that God is talent, even though God created the earth and human beings. He didn't say that God is wealth, even though he has... Uh, you know, like he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And by the way, you know, if you're exploring faith, one of the questions that I, that I ask my friends that are inquiring about faith, and we talk about science versus God and all that, but um, ask yourself, where did love come from? Where did our need for love and our desire to give love, where, where did that come from scientifically? Because the Bible says that we are made in the image of God, and God is love. So as broken as we are, deep down inside all of us is that stamp, that imprint of God's image that it's like a seed of love in us. It explains a lot more to me, and, it, and it, uh, it's one of the reasons why I think Christianity makes just so much sense. God is love. But, you know, that, you know, like if we think about God, you know, being the epitome of love and the expression of love, you know, how does that come down to us? 
What does that mean for us today? And you know, Peter, Peter expressed this so beautifully in 1 Peter 4, 8, when he said, above all, love each other deeply. Above all, love each other deeply. What does it mean, above all? To me, I take that that there are often competing priorities for us in life. And Peter said, when those priorities are getting all mixed up and you're trying to sort it out, since God is love, above all, love each other deeply. I'm a list person, so like, you know, every day I operate off of a list and some, that bugs some people, but um, I just like to say thank God for us list people because we get stuff done, right? Wow, you guys are groggy today. <laughs> In my list, walking with God, love is our highest priority. Love is the highest priority. That's what Peter is saying. So when you say, what do I do? What do I do now? What do I do in this situation? One of the concepts that should shape how you're going to respond to it is that above all, we're to love one another deeply. You know, the rabbis used to talk about when um, you have these competing uh, priorities. They would say, which is heavier? And so Peter is saying that love is the weightiest matter when it comes to deciding. And then there's the words of Jesus in John 13, 35, when he said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. When we think about, like, what's, what's going to express my Christian faith? How will people know that I'm a Christian? Jesus said, it's our love, one for another. And again, think about the, 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 the potential for the list there that could have been plugged in as, this is the thing that will show that you're a Christian. Jesus said that love is our defining quality. It's the thing that says that person is a Jesus follower. It's their love. You know, I'm not in the CrossFit cult, but I have gone to CrossFit a few times. You can always spot the CrossFit people. They're pretty yoked. They have an intensity about them, like, hey, you want to play basketball? Yeah, let's play basketball. Ah, ah. Just go crazy. Um, sorry, all you CrossFit people. But what, as I've gotten older, you know, a lot of the movements in CrossFit, they're ballistic, and I can't do those anymore. So you can sub out for an exercise at CrossFit, you know. So, like, they have this one thing. It's called a muscle-up. You, you hang on rings, and you pull yourself up, and you transition like this, and then you do a dip. And I, I can only do, like, 20 of those. <laughs> Ouch, man, that hurts. And so when I go to CrossFit... I do pull-ups and push-ups. That's the sub for that. Now, I have to say I don't have to do a band on my pull-ups. I can crank out some pull-ups. But um, the thing is, subbing out for exercises, 
That might be good for CrossFit, but it doesn't work with your faith. There's no substitute for love. Paul wrote in uh, Ephesians 5.2 that we're to live a life of love. He didn't say like, you know, just think of your options. It's live a life of love. And again, just as Christ loved us. We often restate our vision uh, statement here, but it's the deepened faith to bring and live love. Yeah, because what we're saying in that vision is that when our faith deepens, what comes out, the, the fruit or the expression of that deep faith is a, a, an intense desire to bring hope to our world and to live a life of love. Faith leads to love. It's the foundation of the gospel. It's the evidence of living faith, and it's the epitome of maturity. So if you really want to grow in your faith, you really want to be stretched like, Britt, I want to take the next step in my Christian walk, then find that person that's really hard for you to love and love them because that's going to be the most challenging thing that you ever did, and it's going to deepen the roots of your faith in ways that nothing else can. And what you will find is that when you're trying to love the people that are beyond your capacity to love, you will say, I can't. But the very next thing you should say is, help me. So I want to spend the next remaining moments that I have here talking about two concepts that I think will help you to see how crying out to God to love someone tenaciously, how God helps you to do that. That's what I want to talk about. Just two, just two concepts, and I want to go back to um, our verse, John 15, 12, that I command you to love each other in the same way that I love you. Do you know that that statement by Jesus is preceded by this passage in John 15, 5. And you're familiar with this. I am the vine, you're the branches. Those, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who parts from me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you stay joined to me and my words remain in you, you may ask any request you like, and it will be granted. My true disciples produce much fruit. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey me, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father and remain in his love. I have told you this so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And then this is when Jesus makes the statement. I command you to love each other in the same way that I love you. Now, Jesus is speaking metaphorically, and sometimes a metaphor can be difficult, but this one should be pretty clear and obvious. That our capacity to love is unlimited when we depend upon God. We are unlimited in our capacity to love somebody when we're depending on God. Let's read it again in verse 9. I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. 
When you obey me, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father and remain in his love. I've told you this so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. I command you to love each other in the same way that I love you. What Jesus is saying metaphorically is that dependency on God is critical for you expressing this incredible, tenacious love that I'm calling you to. Even though it's a, it's a story, it's a metaphor. And the rabbis of Jesus' time, they totally got this. The disciples got this. See, a follower of a certain rabbi, that disciple would stay connected to that rabbi. They would go where they went. They would listen to his teachings. They would engage and embrace his teachings. They would follow him. They would, they would attach to the efforts that he was engaged in, and they would welcome those that he welcomed. And it's the same for us. That if, if we're attached to Jesus, and that life-giving way like a branch is to the vine, there's something coming to us that's unlimited. There's something absent if we're, con- if we're disconnected that we, can, we, that we can't get any other way. See, if we receive the love that Jesus has given to us, I've loved you, he said. Remain in my love. That's, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God loves every person. He even loves that person that is difficult for you to love. And there's nothing that you could do that would eliminate God's potential or his capacity to continue to love you. That's the kind of love we have available to us. But we must remain connected. Remain in me, Jesus said. And that's, you know, just to get practical, it's like, just like with the rabbi, it's like, I I listen to his teachings. I gather with the people that he gathers. I engage in his work in my life. I prioritize my life around his teachings and his values. This is what it means to be a Christian. You know, one of the things I've learned over the years is how new the concept is for a new Christian. If you're an older Christian, you totally have this, but... People, people express faith, they're new to faith, especially as an adult, and then like the idea of going to church regularly, is that it is truly a new concept. But I can tell you that if you want to grow in your faith, the idea isn't to, to be in church, but it's to be, the, to be the church and to be connected and as regularly as you can, be in church and roll up your sleeves and help others and daily, as much as possible, be in his word. This is what it means to be growing and remaining connected to Jesus. And so the key is for us to be as dependent on the vine as a real branch is on the vine. The truth is it'd be a lot easier to just create a religious list for what it means or or what enables us to love others, but In the end, it's just to remain connected to Jesus and the people that travel with him. And when you do that, you have to remember that Jesus has no limit on his capacity to love others. I mean, God doesn't wake up and someone becomes a Christian and he says, 
wow, that's going to be a really hard person for me to save. Like, they're a toughie. Well, maybe me. No, God, it's not, there's nothing that's beyond Him. And if I'm going to love tenaciously on my own, then I'm finished before I even start because I'm limited and I'm finite. And Jesus told me clearly that I can do nothing without him. When we get that, when we get the idea that our, that our ability to love others the way Jesus loved is completely tied to remaining in his love, it changes everything. It frees us from all the, all the what-ifs or the obstacles that come with thinking about loving some, that person who could be challenging or those persons or group of persons. It frees us from the lie that I'll lose. If I love more, I'm losing out. It's like, you know, it's, it's not, the math isn't working out for me. Jesus said that whatever we've given up, we will receive a hundredfold. Not just in this life, but in the life to come. That means when I let God's love flow through me, I cannot lose. So if you have that person that's like, you're starting to keep score, get rid of the score sheet because you're not going to lose out. The, this frees us from the lie that my capacity to love others is based on my current tolerance level. We cannot exhaust the patience of God. It frees me from the lie that the source of my love is my current emotional state. And when, my, when I don't feel it anymore, when, they, when those emotions dissipate, then I can no longer love. I mean, that isn't Jesus' love. And it frees us from the lie that says that there are people that are worthy of my love and people that are not. Remember that God loved this loved us while we were still sinners. See, just as there's no limit to God's love, there's no limit to my capacity to love if I'm depending on Him. So take a moment right now and just look at the person next to you and ask them this. Do you know anybody that's hard to love? Okay, very good. Now, I know that some of you already know that you're that person. So you can clean this all up when you get home today. You know, Cindy and I, um, we have a great marriage. We have such a wonderful family. But we're not perfect. And our relationship, like everybody else's, has peaks and its valleys and some of our valleys over 40-plus years have been really low. And we, had, we talk about this sometimes, that there is no way that we would have been able to stay married if it weren't for God's love. That's the truth. So if you think you're in a challenging relationship, you, you marry, you, some of you are, I know. But I can tell you this that if you connect to God and you rely on Him, He's going to fill you up with His love and He's going to give you an unlimited capacity to love others.
Now, the second concept I want to share with you is shorter. Our capacity to love is unlimited when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to depend upon God, and, but we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit too. And it sounds like the same thing, but they're, but they're different. John 17, verse 7, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is good for you, it is, good, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, which is a word often used for the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, Jesus is talking to his closest followers. So imagine you're there. You're, you're Peter or you're James or you're John, and you've walked with Jesus. You've left things behind. You've gone through these challenges, but you've seen all these miracles. You've, you've seen people's lives changed. And you're thrilled. You've hitched your wagon to Jesus. You have left all. And then Jesus says, I'm leaving. But trust me, you're going to be better off when I leave. Now, if I'd have been sitting there, I would have said, "Uh, uh, Jesus, let's talk about this for a second. Uh, I don't think that that's a good idea. Is there another plan? Because I'm connected to you. And then I think Jesus would say, you know, the work of the Holy Spirit is so powerful. This is going to be a wonderful thing that you're going to experience. I admit, as a pastor over the years, that the Holy Spirit has been confusing to me at times. Sometimes picture him like, you know, a spiritual Jiminy Cricket on my shoulder. You have to be kind of my generation. (laughs) A conscience. And, you know, like, don't do that, and whispering. Um, I mean, I, I, I know, I, I get the Heavenly Father, I get the Son, Jesus Christ, and I know that the Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity. And I also know that Jesus talks so much about the, what the Holy Spirit will do for us. He'll, he's the one that transforms us. He's the one that uh, makes our spiritual spirit come alive where we'll listen to the gospel. He empowers us to do things that are beyond our capacity. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts that we're to use to build up others in the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit gives us the words. He gave the disciples the recall to to pen and record the scriptures. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom to make the right choices. But of all the things that the Holy Spirit did for them and does for us, He gives us an unlimited capacity to love others. And let me tell you why I say that. In Galatians 5.22, we have, you, you might know this passage already, but I just want you to look at it through this lens. It's, it's one of the most explicit passages on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Paul says this, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, patience, a peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When the Holy Spirit controls me, he will produce this. And the first thing that's listed is love. In fact, a lot of scholars believe that it's not just first in the list, but love is the main topic. And all these other things like peace and patience, they're derivatives of that love. The Holy Spirit produces love in us. Paul doesn't say how. doesn't give us the details. This is how it works. 
But we know that through the Holy Spirit, it transcends everything else. And he gives us that capacity to love. Now, a lot of people continue, and we'll, we'll continue to argue about what the Holy Spirit does, or, you know, uh, you know some, some people believe that, well, when you become a Christian, you get the Holy Spirit, and that's all the Holy Spirit you ever get, and so stop praying for more of the Holy Spirit. And other people say, no, you don't get the Holy Spirit at salvation. You get it much later. You get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it's usually uh, uh, evidenced by these things. And then other people kind of like split the middle. No, you don't get, you, you do get the Holy Spirit, but you only get part of the Holy Spirit when you become a Christian. You get more of the Spirit later, and you don't really have all of them until you do these things. My personal opinion is that we get all of the Holy Spirit. It's salvation. But the question throughout our walk is, how much of us does the Holy Spirit get? But I'm not here to debate that with you. Here's what I, what I do know. It is that often the Holy Spirit is, is solely equated with supernatural acts. But I would suggest that the most supernatural thing that the Holy Spirit does is that He empowers us to love people that we could not love without His power. So when people, like back in the day, they would come to, to your church and they'd say, hey, is this a Spirit-filled church? And that meant something. And I, I, I believe that if a church is spirit-filled, what they'll sense when they are part of that church is God's love in an amazing way. May that be said about Sunridge, that we are a spirit-filled church because we love people. We hold on to people when it would just be easier to let them go. And we reach out towards people that, quite frankly, is just going to make us a little bit uncomfortable. I don't know where you fall in the Holy Spirit, and one of the wonderful things about a non-denominational church is that we're diverse here. We know that, and, we, you know, we admit that. We major on the majors, and we try to keep the main thing the main thing. But here's what I do know. The Apostle Paul said this, don't get drunk, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a direct command to be filled with the Spirit, but I don't think I'm going too far when I say one of the things that drives people to drink too much is relational tension. When we're under stress with uh, people at work or in our own household or, you know, it, between uh, husbands and wives, many people find their peace in a bottle as if... If I can just numb myself enough, I don't have to deal with the idea that I have to love this person or I'm in proximity to them. And Paul says, don't do that. Let the Holy Spirit fill you. Because when it comes to that loving that person that is requiring tenacious love from you, if you rely on God and you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, what will happen is you will be able to do it. You'll be able to love people beyond what you ever thought. 
Now, when we think about loving people tenaciously, we have, we have some options. We could say, I know I'm supposed to love that person tenaciously, so I'm going to try. I'll try. And you try to do it in your own power, and I'll take you as long as your perseverance will last. And pretty soon, you'll be out. We, we can say, I can't. And we can just kind of throw in the towel and, and say, you know, well, there's just some people that God doesn't want me to love. And so I can't. And when you say those self-defeating words, you eliminate one of the most powerful things that God could do through you and in you is to demonstrate love to somebody that you just can't see it. But some of us, if we're honest, we say, I won't, right? I won't. And we will, we will find all kinds of substitutes for loving that person. And so as a Christian, we'll go forward with, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure my theology's right, and I'm going to proclaim, uh, you know, like how morally pure I am, and I'm going to carry a big Bible and get a sticker on my uh, car that says, follow me to Sunridge or whatever, you know, your thing is. It's like, that's my faith, or like, I vote this way, so I'm a Christian, and I hold this position on that thing that's going on culturally, and we just shout it, and you know, it's like, these are all good things, but they are no substitute for loving. So I would suggest the best thing that we could ever do when we're in that position is to say, help me. Help me, God to depend on you like I never have before. And God, fill me with your Holy Spirit and let your power work through me in this situation. Let's be that. Let's pray.